You're listening to an IOE podcast from the UCL Institute of Education. Powered by UCL Minds. Welcome to our, our panel discussion entitled a, a Fireside Chat with, with Alumni. And I want to welcome everybody here this evening. So, Going from my right, um, we have Leela Paul. Um, Leela Paul is currently Head of Geography and a Governor at Preston Manning School in Wembley. Um, she studied Geography here um, within the, uh, the Teach First Initial Teacher Training Programme in 2013. Welcome, Leela. To my right, we have Stephanie, Stephanie Hess. Stephanie is a French and German secondary school teacher working at University College UCS in North London. She did her PGCE in Modern Foreign Languages at the IOE in 2016-2017. Welcome. To my left, um, we have Dan Grossman. Dan studied biology at the University of Manchester before obtaining his PGCE in science with a biology specialism from the IOE in 2007. Working my way down, uh, I'd like to welcome uh, David Crozier. David attained his first class honours in, in his music production degree at Leeds College of Music before qualifying as a teacher at the IOE in 2014 for PGC Music. And last but not least, we have Nazira Udin. And Nazira completed her undergraduate course in psychology at UCL and then completed the PGCE secondary at the Institute of Education in Social Science. And that was in what year? Um, 2006. In 2006. Thank you very much. So the way the panel's going to run, um, I'm going to ask several questions to each of the panel members to get a, to get a sense of their, their perspective of what it was like to study at the IOE. And then there'll be an opportunity after we've gone through the panel questions whether you had any specific questions to ask us, um, which we'll open up to the panel. Okay. Um, without further ado, so the first question is, it's focused around what your what sparked your interest in, in becoming a teacher? And Nazira, can you tell us you, what sparked your interest in becoming a teacher? So my interest in teaching really came from my own experience mm -hmm. of education. Growing up in Tower Hamlets in an inner city London area, I've had a very mixed experience with some teachers who have been amazing role models and others not so <laughs> amazing. And I've been exposed to people with different issues and different um, baggages that they've brought to teaching and what really sparked my interest in teaching was to see those teachers who made the difference, who really changed the lives of some of the young people I was growing up with and I knew that that's something I wanted to do when I grew up, I wanted to have that impact. Thank you, Nazira. And the same question to, to Stephanie. So I have a, a very different experience. Um, so my first career was in uh, finance and management. Um, and um, I really enjoyed it. It was quite full on. Uh, and then I had children, and I really wanted to raise my own children, so I stopped working. And when they were old enough, I decided that I wanted to go back uh, and work. And I thought carefully as to whether I would go back to management and finance or change career, and I really decided that I wanted to do something really meaningful. Um, I wanted to, to give back a bit to society, and um, yeah, that's how I, I got into teaching. Thank you very much, a very different perspective. We're thinking about our first classroom experience, and, and, and Dan is gonna say a little bit about how he was supported in your placement school when on your program. So to you. Thanks, Piers. Yeah, quite a while ago now. Um, Back in 2007, I was at a, a very large state comprehensive school, a mixed school. Um, it was 
a really interesting, tough, but rewarding experience. I remember feeling quite overwhelmed when I first went in there, that you know there was over a thousand students, uh, over a hundred teachers, but actually I probably couldn't have got a better grounding. The, the school itself was brilliantly supportive. It was a really fast learning curve, um, but being part of a large department made a really big difference. There was always someone to talk to, someone around to offer advice or to pick me up after a tough lesson. Um, I had regular meetings with my mentors, uh, lots of feedback, which really helped me progress and actually I'm still very close friends with a couple of my mentors from that school and from some of my colleagues there uh, and then the beauty of it was that one day a week we got to come back to the institute and actually looking back when people say to me oh would you have taken a different route I actually think the PGC was the perfect thing for me it gave me the space and time to figure out my teaching style but also gave me a day a week to come back see all my my peers my contemporaries and you know get together, compare, console, celebrate our successes and, and our less successful lessons. Um, and then also just gave us a bit of refocus. You always felt like you were coming back and getting a bit more and progressing and learning a little bit more. So yeah, I, I, I can only speak very highly of my first experience and uh, I ended up going to work for that school actually for, for a few years after that. So yeah, all, all positive in the end. This next question is a slight change to our, to our schedule here. I want everybody to actually think about this. Um, David's going to start us off, which is, what is the best advice about teaching that you've ever been given? And then I'm going to come to each of you in turn to give you a chance to think about that. Um, this is something that I still need to be told, probably on average once a month. So I run a department now, and the, the challenges of, of teaching over the last five years have changed, but I still need a good friend and colleague of mine, Nathan, to go, David, Wusa, which is a cultural reference from Bad Boys 2, I believe, so <laughs> not something I was do do planning well? on sharing. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and uh, it is such a ridiculously demanding job that we do, and one, and you, we will all talk about the brilliant benefits that we all feel every day, but every now and again, you need someone to just rub your ears and say, David, Wusa, um, those young people aren't going to be perfect all the time, and you're, the more aspirational and the more ambitious you are, the more the higher your expectations you are, and um, the harder it will be to achieve those. Um, so I have found that regularly a, a comforting bit of advice. Thank you very much, David. I guess for me, the one piece of advice that I've always thought back to is the fact that teaching is a marathon and not a mm -hmm. sprint and I and I and it it resonates so much with me especially in my current role because I've taken up a senior leadership role for an all through um, school uh, in curriculum and I want to make changes and I want to make them straight away and it's it's natural in us where you go running in and you want to do everything and then there's that worry of you're going to burn out so you've got to take it slow you've got to really think about what the priorities are you're not going to fix everything and you you think about your priorities you think about the purposes of those and you tackle them one at a time at a much slower pace thank you very much Dan. thanks uh, i would say the best piece of advice i was given and i still sort of think about regularly is expect change um, someone said that to me in my first week of teaching and they were absolutely right and it doesn't matter which level of teaching and your career you're at whether you are you know coalface 
full-time table teacher, NQT, head of department, senior leadership, expect change because the change is going to come whether it's from government policies changing or a, a new government entirely whether it's you know your senior leaders deciding that something is the latest fad and that they need to introduce that straight away whether it's just that you have a lesson and realize actually I just need to tweak that a little bit because it's not going to work for the next group that I know really well and actually I know how it will work so yeah be adaptable and, and be open to and ready for change thank you very much three three very strong pieces of advice Stephanie so, to add anything. I, I could. Um, so for me, it's try not to get everything perfect. Um, I have this mad tendency of wanting to do my best at everything. And, you know, I really genuinely want the best for, for, the, for the pupils I teach. But sometimes, you know, uh, you, you just have to manage your expectations and find time for yourself as, mm -hmm. for yourself as well to, to step back a bit and to you know, to, um, to, to take it easy on yourself, really, basically. Yeah, so, agreed. yeah. Thank you. Mm. And last but not least. Um, I would say that the best piece of advice that I've been given is fake it till you make it, which it sounds a little bit trite. At the beginning of your career, it's so valuable because you're walking into the room and you don't feel like you're ready. And no matter how much preparation you do, there is going to be something different, something you're not expecting for. And actually having that sort of brave face and faking it until you actually are feeling confident and you do know what you're doing makes a huge difference but even once you're experienced dealing with that change is so important to actually go into it not constantly questioning yourself not constantly second guessing and saying you know I can't do this but actually um, fake it to, you know you take the best approach you've got a lot of knowledge you've got a lot of experience under your belt and actually if you go with your best foot forward, you, you'll be fine and it will work out in the end. You'll have experienced colleagues around you. You'll have people to give you advice. It will work out, but mm -hmm. even if you're not sure of it in that first moment. Thank you, Leela. Um, for those of you that are at, um, the, at the opening talk I gave, I'm also uh, an IOE alumni from all those, all those years ago, and I would agree wholeheartedly with the, the five pieces of advice we've had this evening, so thank you very much. Um, the, the next question is, is thinking about what role teachers have in shaping society. And Leela, can you take us a little bit through that? Yeah, so I mean, I suppose we've heard a lot already about, you know, the value that you get from teaching, partly because you feel like you are giving back to society. And really, if you're breaking that down, I would say that a lot of what we're doing is providing a lens for pupils and our students to start engaging with the world. When you're really at that early stage, Everything that you are told initially seems real, seems true, and to have the opportunity to shape that vision that pupils are given, and then their thinking about the world, their critical engagement with the world, I think is incredibly valuable. And I think perhaps as a geography teacher, that's something that we spend a lot of time dwelling on, the way that we represent the world as it is. Are we giving them a particular impression? Do we represent the world as they know it? not just as it is in the textbook. Um, so a lot of that is around sort of the lens that they see the world. But the other side of that is, are we a mirror? Does the <laughs> curriculum we teach reflect their lived experiences, the world that they're going into, and the world that hopefully they will shape? So if you're shaping those young people, hopefully you're shaping society for the future. Thank you. And is that something as your, um, as your role of a governor, is that something that you help to shape as well? Um, 
Yeah, the governance role is an interesting one. Um, so I'm a teacher governor, and most schools will have a representative teacher on the governing body. But my role as a teacher and my role as a governor are incredibly different. As a governor, despite not being at the top of the management team, the management team do report. And your role there is very much about questioning, not the decisions that they've made, whether I agree with them or not, but actually their thought process behind that, why they're doing that, have they really um, drilled down into the issues and done their research? And if they can explain that back, then it's not a case of, well, I don't agree with how you chose to do it. Um, so yes, but at the same time, no, I think in a lot of ways that the, the greatest influence I have on pupils is actually in the classroom, developing curriculums. Thank you very much. Can I add to that, please? Yes, very much so. Just coming back to your first point, Leela, you will find that way more of your job ends up not being about your subject specialism and the nuts and bolts of what you teach. You are ultimately working with young people in their formative years and have the opportunity to, sh to shape a whole person. Uh, I teach post-16, so I get these young people arrive with me when they're just formulating their opinions about the world, their political opinions, um, taking apart their experiences. Um, and I, I teach music and they're often kind of creating art that is in response to that and social commentary. And really, whether they become a better songwriter or not becomes, <coughs> has become, in, as I've got further down the road as a music teacher, way less important to me. And has that young person grown in their two years with me? And are they going to leave a, where I teach a happy person and someone who I'm proud to, to, to see enter into the big bad world? That is a profoundly special thing to when you wave goodbye to them and there's tears and there's that big last prom day. And it's, that's, that's really what our job is. And that's a remarkably you know, noble or profound thing to do with your life. And sorry for that's really egotistical, but it is. It's a remarkable thing that we do. Thank you, David. Um, Nazira, thinking about how teaching has changed your life and career, so it kind of follows on from, from what David was saying a little bit there, but how, how would you say that teaching has changed your life? I think often we go back to our purpose and why, why is it that we do the job that we do and what motivates us to wake up in those cold mornings and get in there. And then when you start thinking about the purpose of what we're doing and it's about young people, and for me it's about close, closing the gap and dealing with inequalities, making sure that when they've left our care that we've put them in the strongest position possible for an rapidly changing world and equipping them not with just the academics but also with the the skill sets the interpersonal skills the emotional intelligence to cope with the world outside um, how it's personally impacted me is that um, it, it's made me more passionate about what I do I've managed to find a real love and I, I genuinely say this to people when I meet them I'm one of the fortunate people who have a career which is also my hobby my passion and, and that's a really fortunate position to be in. Um, it shaped my life in the sense that I've been fortunate enough to progress through my role, even though I hadn't planned for it. So I've never had a career plan. I was quite happy to be a teacher, but often I'd find myself that there is more I can do. And 
often reacting to perhaps some of the government policies that I don't necessarily agree with and think, well, what's the way I'm going to make a difference? The way I'll make a difference is to be in a position where I can have a say on those and have a say on how it will be implemented. Um, what's also really helped is my connection to the IOE. So since leaving in 2006, I have returned back to complete my senior leadership training course at the IOE. Last year, I came back to complete my role as a f developing as a facilitator to introduce coaching in our school. Um, and I feel very connected to the IOE. And generally, if there is a gap in my skill set and there's something I need, this is the first point of call. Like, uh, there is a course available. It's not just, they don't just train you as a teacher. They also help you through your own career progression. There's always a course, whether it's mastery of a subject, whether you're skilling up, there's always something you can come back to, to the IOE for. And for that, I'm very grateful. So. Thank you very much. A, a very unscripted response as well. So thank you for saying that. Um, Dan, you're going to tell, tell us a little bit about... So, so Stephanie was saying to look after yourself. And, and that was one of the pieces of advice that in teaching you need to look out for yourself. So Dan, can you say a little bit more about how we keep that fire burning without actually burning out? Sure, and, and I do think that cannot be overstated, just how important it is. Uh, so as Piers said, I've been teaching since 2007. And you know, I'm a generally quite positive person and I don't want to say this is the magic bullet that will you know, keep your sanity. I think it's a personal thing, but I'm just going to offer a few little bits and pieces that, that help me um, keep that energy and keep that passion that Nazira talked about. For me, one really important thing is building relationships. And I know that sounds like a weird way to keep your own energy, but actually teaching is a lot easier if you're A, having fun, and B, people are willing to help you. So cultivating those relationships with your students makes your life a lot easier because then you aren't having those battles. And cultivating relationships with your colleagues makes your life easier because then you know you can go to them for support or for that worksheet that you saw them have that would make your life a lot easier and you don't have to make it yourself. For me as a science teacher, cultivating relationships with support staff is massively important. Any science teacher will tell you that the most important people in the school are the technicians who provide all that equipment because if they happen to forget your lesson accidentally, then you're in real trouble. But if they go to the effort of reminding you, oh, you said you wanted to do that and I've gone to the trouble of preparing it for you, that makes your life a lot easier. Um, secondly, I would say retain a sense of humour. Don't take everything personally because it's not personal, especially with young people. So try and remember to be good humoured about the job. Sometimes it's crap and you feel crap, but try and put that smile back on your face. And then the final thing I would say is have an outlet. Have something in your life that is not teaching because it is so easy to just get swallowed up by the job and just to be all consumed by it. So whatever that outlet is for you that forces you to switch off. In my younger days, it was sport, less so these days. Um, I now have two young children and they don't really care how my day was or what happened. And that's brilliant for me because actually when I go home, I don't get my marking out and I'm not thinking about that email I've got to send and I'm not worrying about what I've got to say tomorrow. I'm just thinking about them. And that is massively beneficial for me in terms of restoking that fuel tank and getting me going again for the next day. So hopefully that gives a little flavour of some of the things you could try. Thank you very much, Dan. Um, we've got time for, for one or two more points, then we're going to open it up to the floor for some questions, so, so be thinking about those questions. Um, but before we do that, um, 
We've heard from, from Nazira talking about the opportunities that the IOE have offered with, um, from the perspective of continued professional development and, and other areas of, of um, a teacher's development. <coughs> but Leela, more, more broadly, what opportunities are there for teachers to develop their career and explore their fields of interest? So I suppose there are a lot of different ways. You've got to remember that any school is a really large organisation. They've got big budgets, they've got obviously an educational purpose, but there's every aspect of any large organisation, any large business happening in any school at any time, and particularly with the development of multi-academy trusts and organisations like that. You might start in the classroom, but really you could end up anywhere, and it very much depends on where your interests lie. If you are a highly analytical person, that there is a place for you in any school's data department. <laughs> um, if you are somebody who loves developing others, there is always need to train people. And if you are somebody who wants to have that strategic oversight and leadership, then there are roles to lead and direct a school um, and very often very large teams um, in terms of your vision, having a vision and being able to realise that. And I, I think that perhaps when people go into teaching, they see it very much as that classroom practice. And it's not to say that the classroom practice isn't important, but as I think a lot of people bemoan about the profession, the longer you're in it, the better you are, the less you get to teach. Um, but that isn't to say you're not having an impact, but simply that you're having it in a different way. Thank you very much. And our, and our final point is, is Stephanie's going to try, to try to summarize for us. She's got the very grand job of what she thinks makes a successful teacher. And this is, this is probably very deeply personal as well to think about this. And we would probably have different, different perspectives. But Stephanie, you have this okay. honor today. So, so um, I have four keywords really uh, for me uh, that uh, uh, to, to me makes a successful teacher. Uh, first, resilience then passion, humility, and care. Uh, why resilience? Because we'll have up and up, ups and downs all the time. Things will go wrong, and you just have to pick yourself back up and you know, go and teach the next day. Okay, So it, it will happen, and you just have to take one at a time and start again, and it will be fine. Um, passion, because if you're passionate about what you teach, then the pupils are going to have a much more enjoyable lesson. They're going to enjoy learning. And uh, you know you will you know they will learn better this way. Um, humility is quite quite valid for me personally because you know I've come up from a job where I had a career before, so I really restarted from scratch from zero, and you know I had I had to learn a new job, and you know it it takes a lot of humility to actually you know take criticism and be told of what to do uh, after having had a career. Um, but also on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, because as a teacher, you're constantly learning. Uh, you will be observed uh, by senior management in lessons, and you will be always, they always find something wrong in the lessons. There's always something to improve. Uh, so you just have to take the criticism on board and, you know, make, make, make it better next time. And finally, care, because I think that you, I deeply care about the people I teach, and I think they sense it. Uh, and um, it means that they are, uh, you know, more able to receive whether they're 
uh, you have to give them in terms of learning. So, yeah, I think care is, is hugely important. Great. Thank you very much yeah. for, for, for very important attributes. And, and as I said, everybody here would ha probably have a slightly nuanced um, description of what makes a successful teacher. However, we now have an opportunity. We have about 10 minutes um, for questions from the audience and also from social media. And I'll repeat your question so that um, they can hear it. So, uh, except from the obvious in terms of like workload, market, and lesson plan, and everything, what was the most daunting jump or like the biggest difference between your work experience placements and your first year, like very first year of teaching? Okay, really good question. So the question was, what what was the biggest jump between, I guess, your your training year and then your um, your placement or your or your job as an NQT? So so when you get your qualified teacher status, you then become an NQT for a year, and you're interested to know like what, what was most daunting about that. Was yeah, really good question. Ah, David. I'd love to jump in there. <clears throat> you genuinely are in a classroom going, I can't believe I'm here on my own. Uh, they they yeah. trust, they, how, do they know that I don't know what I'm doing? <laughs> it really comes back to what you said, Leela, about fake it till you make it. You've got this qualification, and there are 30 real human beings who are expecting you to know what you're doing and no one is there to check you're okay and to check you're doing it right. Um, and so it really is a case, to echo what you said, to have faith in, in your training and your experience and to have that resilience and kind of growth mindset to keep acknowledging where it's gone wrong and keep building it. But honestly, the biggest difference is that sense of this must, this must, been, this must be a mistake. Like, you can't be, can't be happening. Piers, could I do the, the cliched also turning a negative into a positive? Because after that first year of observation after observation after observation, oh, it's such a nice feeling to close the door and be in your own classroom, and it's, it's actually liberating. So, yes, I completely agree, and I still catch myself sometimes when they're all heads down and doing something, I'm sort of looking around thinking, this is me, I, I, this is my job, this is what I do on a daily basis, and that's very weird, because my, my family will tell you I'm not to be trusted with pretty much anything. Uh, <laughs> But no, it is. It's, it's lovely. It's a, it's a really powerful feeling and quite a nice feeling that first time when you suddenly look around and realise there's no one watching you and they do trust you and you are their source of information. So yeah, daunting but exhilarating at the same time. Great. Oh, oh yeah, go ahead. Well, so I did teach first and from that first day you were on your own and it was very much a case of, I mean... The fake it to me, absolutely, there's a reason it was the best advice I was given. Um, but I, I, I kind of get that sense that that was really daunting. For me, when I left my, when I finished my training year, the most satisfying thing, having already been on my own for a year, was knowing, feeling actually a lot more confident. As an NQT, I was probably the most confident NQT you've ever met because it was just so much better and the criteria that I was having to meet, I was like, oh yeah, I can breathe through these, these are fine. Um, so that was, that was quite nice, it was in an odd way, when you move from that first year into your second year, maybe when you finish your NQT year, um, that sudden sense, actually, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I, I've, I've, even if I'm not perfect right now, I am getting so much better. And that, that point where you look back in the summer term on what you were like in, in autumn, and you think, yeah, I've, I've you know, I've made huge amounts of progress. It's one of the most satisfying learning experiences I've had as an adult. That, that really clear, delineated progress. Because when you're a kid, you do that all the time. You learn to ride a bike and, you know, a few months ago you couldn't ride a bike and now you can. And you just don't do that in the same way as an adult. So it was really Great. satisfying. Thank you very much. Um, any further... Ah. Okay, the next question. <laughs> <laughs> 
What do you do when you run out of ideas about things to do in your class? Who wants to take that? I can try. Um, <laughs> A difficult question. I mean, somehow when you're a teacher, you're also a little bit of an actor in that you put on a persona, um, you put on a role, and I don't know, you get to improvise like actors do. You know, you're just, you're just very good at improvising in the same way that you would improvise if you've prepared a beautiful lesson on a PowerPoint and the computer is not working when you come in the classroom. You just have to improvise. And you know, also it's quite a good idea to have like a few tricks up your sleeves, a few, a few games, a few, you know, um, uh, a few activities uh, that you can just pull up like this and, 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 and use as if you were like having a toolbox in where you're picking things out, 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 out of it. So you, you, get, you get to, you get used to it, yeah. 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 Go ahead. Um, you also have to remember that you have thirty young people as resources in your classroom, um, because this is a journey that you both are taking. So often the students who are in front of you have spent some time learning what you want to, and it's always best to speak to them, ask them, "What would you like to do?" You know, we've got that time, or get them to ask questions to each other. So, you know, remember you're not there on your own. They are there in that journey of learning with you, and they are a great source of resource as well. I think it's a really critical point. I think when, when beginning teachers are starting, they often think that it's, it's about the whole performance and you've got to, to, to micromanage every minute of the lesson and, oh, no, no, what happens if I get to the end of my lesson plan and then what? And so, yes, very much thinking about you've got the resource of the children in the classroom. There's other things that you know can take a... You can discuss whatever for forever. Do a debate. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And they love asking questions. Yes. Give, them a, give them a little piece of paper and say, write one question you've still got about the topic. I guarantee you they'll come up with something. Yeah. Thank you. Fill hours with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, any any further questions from from the floor? Yes. I'm great. Thank you. Just going to repeat the question. Um, so the question was about career changes, and, and please correct me if I'm if I'm not quite correct. And it was what what from a career changes perspective did you did you bring from that career into into your your teaching persona? Um, I think people who work in um, management and business um, have no idea how good teachers are as, as being a manager themselves. Uh, and all this, the skills uh, that you need as a teacher, being organized, um, being good with numbers, uh, uh, being good talking to people because you have colleagues, uh, so communication skills, um, they, they are the same in, in, in management and business. Uh, so I find that I was really able to transfer those skills quite easily through. Um, Yes, that was quite, it felt very natural to me, yeah. Yeah, again, again, very much so for, for though, it sounds like it's the peers show, but it is a little bit because I, uh, I am the chair here. Um, but f uh, for those of you that, uh, that were at the opening talk, um, I, I did my training here, but I also left teaching to, to have a career outside of teaching in the independent sector. And I really felt that, that, that what I'd learned being a teacher was, was something that I, that I couldn't learn anywhere else. And I was shocked when I was outside of, 
of the institution, just as a teacher, you do everything. And when you go into this different sector, and there, there are people to do things for you. And then when I came back in again and, and taught again late, so I guess I'm a career changer as well, I was... I just found that so valuable, speaking to parents, all those difficult conversations I'd had in, in management meetings were now very appropriate from speaking to parents at parents' evening about a difficult child. So I hope, I hope our two perspectives really, um, really answer your question. We have about one minute, so any, any burning questions? If not, we're going to have to draw our fireside chat, I'm quite sure where the fireplace is, to a, to a close. Okay, so thank you very much, everybody, for, for attending the, opening, um, the open evening this evening. Thank you very much for attending our, our panel discussion. And thank you to each of, of the panel members for giving up their time this evening uh, to join me and you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for downloading and listening to this IOE podcast. You can find more audio stories from the IOE on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, and on your favourite podcast.